Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm one of your hosts, Dave Gurney. I'm here with... Joe Hilliard. And uh, who is not with us is uh. Carlos. Uh, we, we, we wish he was, uh, but, but uh, life has gotten in the way, and uh, he is not able to join us this week. And I know this is a week that he I was know. looking forward to. This is bad. Yeah. Two well. great movies. We just had an event. In well, like, you're spilling the beans here, Joe. Oh, do I, you don't <laughs> want to spill the beans? Okay, I won't spill the beans. We're going to dive in, and we're going to do our best without him. Yeah, yeah. So that means we got to get a beer in our glass. Yes. Even if Carlos isn't here, we can't leave the beer out. Yeah. My in-laws recently drove to Indiana Uh from Texas to pick up a brand new camp, a trailer, a brand new trailer. Ooh. So they drove back through Nashville, Tennessee, and while there, I got a text. Hey, Joe, do you want to try some beer from Nashville, Tennessee? I'm like, you know, you know who you're talking to. <laughs> Come on now. Um, so they got to us two beers from a brewery we have never had before, Tailgate Brewery out of Nashville. And the first that we're going to enjoy from them, simply named Peanut Butter Milk Stout. Well, it's always exciting when we have some folks, and, and I believe your in-laws have done this for us before, um, where, where they've been on a cross-country journey, and they, they bring us back something special from a place that we wouldn't otherwise be able to get our hands on very easily. So I'm really excited to be able to try Tailgate with you here. Not a lot of detail on the can. Really basic title. We know we're going to have some peanut butter, and we know it's probably got some lactose in it. Uh-huh. And I look forward for trying the first of the two beers we'll try from them tonight. All right. Well, cheers. Let's uh, get this. And it's pouring like a stout. You yeah. know, it's dark, uh, roasty. Are you getting any of that uh, peanut butter on the nose? Oh, without a doubt. It yeah. smells like I've stuck my nose in the Jif jar. Yep. I'm getting that, too, now that it's uh, in my glass. It's there, and I'm excited to get into it i'm really david i'm excited to get into this movie that we have discussed this director his third film i i'm gonna i'm gonna spill the beans if i say anything else <laughs> right and, and even using that term is is uh sort of cluing those in the know into what's going on here because we are looking at the newest film from robert eggers the northman uh, robert eggers of course the director of the witch and then just a few years later, The Lighthouse, which we reviewed both of those. Yeah, back in episode 62, uh, The Lighthouse was the new release. So That's right. So it made sense to go back and look at Robert Eggers' first film. Flip a coin as far as which one's my favorite. They're both incredible works from an auteur. He got me into the theater. Yeah. Forget the trailer. Forget all of it. Robert Eggers' name on a new movie, I'm there. Yeah, he, he's, he's definitely one of those filmmakers who, the second he arrived on the scene, I think with The Witch, even though it took me a few years to get around to it, I mm-hmm. think if, if you listen back to episode 62, um, I, I think I'm honest, I hope so. <laughs> I didn't really listen to the episode just recently, but, but I think I would have said I had not seen The Witch until we got around to watching The Lighthouse, mm-hmm. and it was only because of that. That said... People had been telling me that, oh, you need to see The Witch, The Witch, The Witch. And his name wasn't always involved with that. But once I had seen it and certainly seen it back to back with The Lighthouse, I knew, okay, I get it. This this guy is definitely doing things in a way that very few filmmakers do. Um, I've talked about it so many times. I love an auteur director. And yeah. he fits the bill. Yes, he does. He does. Um, so The Northman, this, this newest outing from him... Uh, as as writer director, he co-wrote it with uh, an Icelandic poet writer, mm-hmm. uh, Sion. Mm-hmm. Sion. The, it's based on a sort of um, old, I guess we could call it folk tale legend from Scandinavia, right? About a young prince, uh, in in this case, the the Northman named Amleth, who sees his father killed uh, by his father's brother. His father being the king, his his father's brother then being the kind of next successor to the throne, right? Especially if he dispatches with the prince as well. Sure. Um, so so he the the uncle kills the father, sends his men after the son, the prince Amleth, uh, and and his men assure him that that has happened, and uh, takes over the kingdom, um, and and that's kind of it from his perspective until twenty years later, where young Amleth actually did escape. 
has gone on this journey himself, which we don't really see, but we kind of fast. No, it's almost like a bang, fast forward the 20 years. Years later, yes, exactly. Um, to where we see him as a full-grown man, not just a full-grown man, but a... Size of three men. <laughs> right. Alexander Skarsgård. <laughs> in, in probably the most fantastic shape of his career I in terms of imagine. the bulk that he put on. I mean, yeah. he is a hulking presence. Um, and he's become a berserker who is sort of going into villages and raiding them and pillaging them and taking people uh, prisoner. And uh, on a particular pillage, he ends up meeting a mystic who sort of reminds him... Bjork. Yes, who played by Bjork, um, who reminds him that, you know, he had this goal to avenge his father. Yeah, you see it beautifully in the trailer. The boy watches his father die, played mm -hmm. by Ethan Hawke, the father, mm -hmm. who I'm going to get back to, watches the village that they, you know, the, the kingdom, so to speak, be sacked or begin to be yeah. sacked, and he need, knows that he needs to escape in order to live. Right. So he, young boy, alone through a fjord yeah. on a, you know, a very rocky, menacing looking forward, right. alone on a boat saying this mantra, I will avenge you father. I will oh, save, save you mother, mother played by uh, uh, Nicole Kidman. Nicole yeah. Kidman. And I will kill you, Uncle. F film year. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that is, you know, Bjork reminds him, as you're saying, Bjork is like, don't forget the mantra. Don't forget your mantra. And right. you, I got the impression as we flash forward 20 years quickly and then into this amazing, amazing siege, amazingly violent and cinematically gorgeous siege on whatever village that they're in, mm -hmm. that this is a man who used his life between the childhood and now to create within himself the person that can do those three things this revenge killing machine yeah yeah i mean whether whether it was fully with that intent we don't get to see but but certainly he has put himself in a good position mm -hmm. to be able to exact this revenge and so uh, he he sort of um, masquerades as a slave, you know, puts himself into captivity. Brands himself. Right. Um, so that he gets taken uh, and, and I guess knows that they're going to be brought to Iceland because that's where he started out and wants to be brought back to Iceland so that he can be sold out of slavery or, you know, as a slave, hopefully, I guess, to... Uh, his uncle mm -hmm. and as it works out he does <laughs> so uh, the, the bulk of the movie being him as a slave to his uncle without revealing himself as who he is right because he's a grown man the right. last time they saw him he was like a 10 year old boy and sort of slinking around and figuring out how he's going to exact this revenge uh coming into contact with another kind of spiritual mystic mm -hmm. uh you know shaman who gets him in touch with uh the court jester <laughs> who's played by willem dafoe earlier mm. in the film and uh and and sort of you know guides him on the way gets him his weapon that he needs the night blade um and and then making an alliance with anya taylor joy's character who was also brought into slavery in that same raid that he took part in right and she kind of you know olga initially a little hesitant but pretty quickly won over and realizes that she has an affinity for him. Um, they develop a romantic relationship and really become a partnership in terms of trying to, you know, do do this deed, you know, do exact the revenge that he is out to get. We are a spoiler podcast. Oh, sure. Sometimes yeah. that does not matter. Maybe with Apollo 10 and a half last week, you could listen to the episode even if you hadn't seen the film. Go back and watch the right. film and have more or less the same spoiler, experience. Spoiler, folks. The men landed on the moon. We are going to... <laughs> it happens. Yeah. We are going to move forward with spoilers, but this is one of those movies where I'm going to suggest you don't listen if you haven't seen the movie yet. I'm going to say this is a movie that needs to be seen. You probably have already seen it if you're a listener of ours. But if you haven't, come back when you have. I'm, I'm fine with that advice being given. I don't feel as strongly that okay. way. I, I think this is a film that I could have appreciated even if I, I... I felt like I knew a lot of the beats that were going to be coming. There, there was a twist in there that I didn't know for sure was going to happen. That and I the ending battle, something occurs that you might have been able to foretell... But I'm talking about his death. Oh, yeah. Okay. The very end. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking more the, the turn with the mother. Yeah. That, that sort of felt like. Sure. It, anyhow, that, that, that was. Expectations um, were running high, David. Yeah. What do you, yeah. what'd you think? So, you know, first off, I think this film looks amazing, mm -hmm. right? I mean, the, the landscape 
cinematography, the the sets that they built. Um, I know Eggers is sort of he's known for his exacting approach to historical detail. And I think that pays off in huge ways. Yeah. I mean, every frame of this film just about is sort of a, a marvel to behold. It really is. That first scene, the first shot is of a volcano. Yeah. In eruption. Mm-hmm. It's called the Gates of Hell. We come back to it at the end. And then the second shot is the king returning home on right. those, uh, you know, behind the ships moving away from the camera mm-hmm. toward land. And then the uh, king's processional as he comes he's home from you know some raiding or some kind of mission overseas it's bang 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 gorgeous 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 oh my god no matter what i'm about to see the next two and a half hours are just going to be a feast for the eyes and they were yeah yeah beautiful amazing so it and and even the night photography i mean cinematography is is stunning and a lot of it lit by fire yeah you know i haven't done a ton of reading here to to be Mm -hmm. sure about it but it really feels like he probably did as much as he could to use all of the natural lighting sources that i would expect so yeah just knowing what i know about his historical way of telling these stories right and and so it has such a mood just every image in in the film has such a you know aura about it um just real quick note i had a note that was about the color palette of nighttime yeah oftentimes the color palette is muted because of obviously there's not enough a lot not as much light as during the day but here there is a color palette at night yeah the thatch of the roofs as he's you know sneaking through the village etc it just it was so notable that every little detail of set design Mm -hmm. and cinematography had been thoroughly thoroughly thought out and executed really really well Right. So I agree wholeheartedly. So it, this film is stunning to look at. I think the score is is Oof. is excellent. The best score for one of his films so far, would you guess? You know, that that's always a tough call to make that I I would want to review the evidence before I was going to make a claim like that because I remember like Episode li- 62 David. Yeah, I remember liking the scores in in those other films yeah. quite a bit, but but this one I think because it is more epic in its scale, mm-hmm. it lends itself to some of that sweeping sort of music uh in ways that maybe those other films didn't, which were a little smaller and at least in terms of their certainly, you know, certainly. Yeah. So so I do think that this probably benefits from that at least in terms of giving and I didn't look who, who was the composer on this one? Oh, you're gonna um, have to look it up. Yeah, that the 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 score being done here, Robin Carolyn and Sebastian Gainsborough. I think they had a lot. They had a huge palette to to paint on. So th- this this to me, um, you know, brings together some of the great. It has some of the the weirder elements that he brings into his filmmaking that you don't see in the trailer outside of a hint of Bjork's face and right. outfit. Right. There's a high level of mysticism in the film. For sure. And it's and I think it's handled really in a nice way where y- you sort of just it's accepted. It's it's there people don't remark on it um because it's part of their culture to believe these things. Sure. Now, you know, I think in a lot of ways we we as an audience are tied pretty closely to uh to Amleth and I think we're we're seeing the world through, if not his eyes exactly, like through through the eyes of somebody in his position. You know what I mean? Like, I say that because there's that part of me that does not, I don't know, doesn't find the supernatural stuff as compelling. Okay. But, but I find it compelling enough because it's all just presented matter-of-factly. Right. I think about Native Americans uh-huh. before you know, settlers arrived. Mm -hmm. And I can apply my same thoughts to this, which Mm -hmm. I think the subtitle at the beginning is 896 AD. Yeah. We're talking about a time when the human race is figuring out this whole thing that they're on. Mm. You know, we don't know about solar systems and gravity. I mean, we know gravity because we can see gravity, but Mm -hmm. we don't know how it works or why it works. There has been no major world religion that has been brought to our shores to tell us though though christianity is coming we deal with that a little bit once uh he you know amleth starts on his nightly outings it kind of becomes this thing where he goes out night after night to to dispatch with different Mm -hmm. different people not some reconnaissance building up to the uncle (laughs) um 
And, uh, you know, and when he starts doing it, they assume it's maybe Christians, right? They even make the, the, uh, the folks in this village make this, uh, you know, assumption that like, oh, this is what, because when he initially goes out, he like pins these dead people to the side of one of the homes or what, or, you know, what are the mm-hmm. structures? And they're like, oh, their, their whole religion is about worshiping a man who was nailed to wood. Right. Yeah. Yeah. His goal is to create a accelerating crescendoing level of fear mm-hmm. until he gets to his final goal, which right. of course is number three in his mantra, kill the uncle. Well, and also because he's through the contact he's had with the mystics, mm-hmm. he has this sort of faded outcome, right? Like he is going to do this thing, but it has to be done in a certain way. Right. And it's right. going to be, um, what a burning lake is how it's described right. at one point at which, Fits with the gates of hell and the and the volcano where things ultimately do. But finish end up. finishing up that thought real quick yeah. before religion comes, mm-hmm. as it has been you know packaged and created for natives. They're creating their own understanding of what the world is yeah. and and what they have created has a higher level of what we would call today mysticism. But for them, exactly as you say, this is what we know. So when Bjork. A witch, they call her a witch, a mystic, a shaman, whatever, explains out the prophecy. This is the first of several scenes where, on the way home, I I suggested the fountain. Aronofsky's The Fountain. These, these, what's the word? These, we're leaving reality. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the family tree uh, thing. The, um over-romanticized view of of the volcano, which would be Mother Earth or nature at its most, you know. Right. uh, And we don't know why this is happening. We as a society at the time don't know why any of this is happening. So we create the lores that make it make sense for us. Mm -hmm. So the idea that he has a prophecy that's been given to him Mm -hmm. and he has a mantra that he has repeated is probably his entire life. Yeah. That I cannot rest until these things are done. My father is revenged. My mother is saved. My uncle is dead. Yeah. Then you begin to get into the heart of the issue, which is, well, now I have found love. And now I can literally escape this prison, maybe, that I've been in. And then to decide, no, I'm going to give that up well, to go and, back and take care of business. But that only even becomes a possibility in his mind once the twist comes with his mother. Go ahead. Right? Yeah. Um, because you're right, Joe. I mean, he is very single-minded very, as, as far as we follow him, though there is that gap of 20 years where we don't get to see and like, what well, you know. He was but, clearly at the gym. Right. <laughs> he, was, he was at the Viking gym for sure. Um, so, you know, we know he's he's done that. We knew that he cultivated his ability to fight. Oh, and, we know immediately that he can kick some ass. Right. Um, but w- once he gets, you know, sold into slavery and he's there with his, you know, with his uncle and his mother, who is now the new sort of queen. Now, the, the kingdom has fallen, right? right? I right. mean, that, that's one thing that we need to, you know, sort of insert in there. In that 20-year gap. Right. The, the, no longer are they in that sort of, you know, fortified castle in a larger settlement. Like, they've obviously, they have lost a good portion of their kingdom, and they've sort of retreated to a much smaller village enclave. Right. Um, Farming with the, with the slave right. labor. But, but once he's there, he's pretty devoted to this concept. He, like I said, he brings in Anya Taylor-Joy um, I- into the project. They're kind of going methodically through, and as they're building up and building that kind of, you know, terror within the village, because they're going on these nightly raids, or he's going on these nightly raids, and she's helping him along with her potions, which seem to be using psychedelic mushrooms primarily mm-hmm. <laughs> as the way to uh, to uh, throw off some of these people and make them even more prone to seeing things in a mystical or sure. strange sense, which I kind of liked. I liked that he brought that in, this mm-hmm. idea that, oh, yes, of course, these things were being used as tools to connect with the other world. Before they, they told now, us, yeah, I was going to say, before they told us that these things are bad, yeah. then the, the natives right. of any land that had right. these plants right. would probably be using them in ceremony i mean ceremony right. or well and those who are like sure. witches those who go out and i was making quotes there you know like mm-hmm. people who know how to use the 
the tools of nature to be able to produce the outcomes that they want, um, you know, they have a special kind of place in the society because they, they know how to manipulate things. So anyway, all that to say, everything's going along swimmingly, so to speak, until we hit the point where he confronts his mother um, and to save her, that's his whole goal. Right, no, confronts her to say, "Look, mother, I am Amleth. I'm your alive. Son. Yeah. I'm alive." Thinking that she is going to, because he has said this many times, that she is going to instantly be happy that he's there to save her. Um, will you know accept him back as her son and be happy that he's there to dispatch with um, the uncle? Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, he finds out no, no, she was in league with the uncle all along. In fact, she is the one who pushed the uncle. To do the act because she hated his father. His father had bought her as a slave and had essentially raped her to impregnate her with him. And he then took her as a wife because she had produced a son, a male heir for him, and sort of brought her in as a queen. This in some ways colors the prologue and and this is why i kind of want to go back i haven't said it yet but i would like to go back and watch this film at some point because i want to no see doubt. the prologue again mm-hmm. through the eyes of that twist that comes later right now i think once that happens it opens up that new avenue to him where is this revenge mission really what i'm destined to be doing because i'm not saving this woman this if anything i am you know, and not that he thinks this, but he would be, you know, punishing the woman and, and, and you sure. know, the, the, his mother. Um, and he says, at least initially, he's not willing to even kill a woman. So he's not wor- he's he's not looking to to kill her. What's his motivation now to kill the uncle if he was really being misled by her? And here he has Anya Taylor Joy, um, you know, Olga, who is willing to be with him. In a way that they can start a family, right? And and she again, spoiler podcast here. We're, uh, um, you know, Olga reveals to him shortly after that that she's pregnant, and or he he finds out by kissing her, and he can see mystically into mm-hmm. her that you know she has children, and or he sees his tree, his family tree, and it's now extended. He has he has the two offspring, which is there. this amazing. Yeah, it's, it's not animation. It's I, how do you even describe it? It's this this notion. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a CGI tree. Yeah, I think. yeah. This, this yeah. notion that but, but there are branches coming off and attached to the ends are us. Yeah, right. This right. this tree that we have mm-hmm. created or has been created with us in it. Yeah, just just one of several shots that that is Eggers. You know. <laughs> Going mystical on us, yeah, really, you know? Yeah, Well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's taking a concept that I think many of us are familiar with, the family tree, right? We've, this is a term we use sure. and, and even a visualization that we'll do on paper for like grade school, mm-hmm. you know, like kind of map it out. But it's, but it's putting it into a cinematic, you know, visual that, yes, is unique and yet connected to something we know. It's very smart. I mean, Eggers is a smart guy and he's dealing with... Um, you know, folklore here. He's dealing with things that, and if you haven't noticed, based on this, you know, mother marrying the uncle and they rule a kingdom. I mean, this is the very legend that Hamlet is based on. Oh, yeah. Right? So, you know, these are familiar kind of story with tropes. Be- with a little Macbeth thrown in there, too. A little too. Macbeth thrown in. Yeah, true. <laughs> these are safe. familiar kinds of, like, story tropes that are out there and and concepts that, yes, he does things to present them in ways that you've probably not seen before or or at least not seen in this way and it feels very fresh and new but when you really think about it it's like he invented very little here he's more just very methodical about how he puts it together and and delivering something that is i think to the next level like when it comes to this i think there's a level there though that i really admire which is my destiny is to do this thing. Yeah. These three things. Right. Kill the mother. I mean, save the mother. I don't Well, <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> what, that's what happened. Initially save yeah. the mother. Save, yeah. uh, revenge the father, save the mother, or kill the uncle. Yeah. Um, and then this notion that a person with such a, you know, he's the protagonist of the film, this noble quest. Yeah. 
that it's all upended, that, that his entire quest in life has yeah. been inaccurate. Yeah. And then what do I do with that information? Right. And, right. And, and there are choices now to be made. Right. And I have been, can, I have been presented as nothing more than a hulking, killing brute really up until this point. And now can I relieve myself of these burdens mm-hmm. and, and go live a life with a woman that I love? Yeah. And that he can't, that, that he, this man cannot, okay, I'm not going to save my mom. That That's not a thing. I can still revenge my dad and I can still kill the uncle. Yeah. And the uncle probably deserves to be killed. He's a bit of a douche. So let's, uh, l- let me go back and, and do that. And here we are then back at the gates of hell, that first volcano scene that we saw at the very beginning of the film. We're back there. Yeah. And it's beautifully lit beautifully choreographed i guess the custom would be that we're uh, i think they even say wear nothing but your weapon yeah so they're at nude uh-huh. tastefully done covered increasingly in ash as the fight continues it's just visually amazing and uh he gets he does it he kills the uncle but at the same moment has killed himself at the same moment has killed himself yeah. and i really would like to have seen our hero here that I have grown to really, you know, I want to see how this goes yeah. down. Get the two out of three that he can still do and live to tell the tale. Yeah. But I, that, yeah, I don't that was know. not in the cards. And I guess no. now that you look back at it, of course, this would be the only end that, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, there there is a bit, again, fate is a big big running theme in this film, right? Mm-hmm. This idea that these things have been prophesized, that he, as much as he may have gone off for 20 years and and may have even lost sight of it that this mystic sort of reminds him of this quest that he was supposed to be on that he goes back on it and and even then when he like you know later like maybe pivots away or thinks there's maybe an easier way to do it or you know like he ends up falling no i'm gonna have to do this the way that it's been foretold it's it, you know it's all this and and i guess that's the way with a lot of folklore there is something fascinating about this you know pull towards like one cannot escape one's fate right one cannot one can attempt to make their own way in the world but that ultimately you're chained to this sort of predetermined outcome that that is just that is just going to be the the way it goes you know it's it's not particularly a view of the world that i tend to share Mm -hmm. but it's one that i find fascinating and i understand why people are so drawn to it or why we you know humans are so drawn to it because there is this I think for all of us on some level, even if we land on one side of the spectrum more than the other, there's always that push-pull where they're like, you know, this is I was fated to be this versus I'm making this. You know, I'm a self-made man or I'm a self-made person versus, you know, this is what God wanted for me. This is, you know, this is the path that I'm on. So, there, you know, there's that element of religion and spirituality that can come into it, which is certainly here on display. Though the Norse gods, they get mentioned. They aren't really, they don't seem like big players here. You know, it's not like... Sure, you don't see formal worship. Right. But, you know, there is that part of me that, you know, whenever I see a story like this unfolding, that, you know, I always feel for the characters. I'm like, well, you don't have to. Like, there's the part of me that said, well, why didn't you just stay on the boat with Anya Taylor-Joy? Like, your uncle, yeah, maybe he'd be upset if he found out that you were having offspring, but is he really going to track you down in Orkney or wherever it is that you're heading off to that, you know, like, I mean, are you just overreacting? (laughs) Yeah, but it's also, they live in a society where they probably feel like a lot of times, unless you are royalty, your life is out of control. You are a slave, you are a a peon, Mm -hmm. and... The idea that we can shift the river is relatively enlightened. Yeah. So I understand. I mean, he had just been his entire life. I got to do these things. I got to do these things. I got to do these things. They they got the best of him. If living at the end of it is a, a goal. Yeah. But it's also a time that's very clearly presented as life not being very worthwhile. Well, that's what, you know, and I guess that's where it leaves me is like, you know, you said that by the end you were like hoping he would live. And, and honestly, by the end, I kind of like, this is a husk of a man. This isn't a man. Right. This is somebody who's been so driven by this purpose that ex- it exists outside of himself in a way that... that you know, again, I understand a boy wanting to avenge his father's death and wanting to do that and, and it compelling him, but he gets so locked into it, it doesn't feel like there's any character there beyond just this mission and, the, and this drive. 
and you get that glimmer of it once he has the relationship with Olga, and there's a sense that maybe there is this other possibility for him, but then it gets quickly extinguished, and he's you know back to the faded outcome. And, and he's rewarded there at the end. We get that sort of image of him riding off to Valhalla, mm-hmm. right, uh, on a horse, which I couldn't decide. So this is where, you know, if I have a, a hang right now. I knew you had one. A hang up that's mm-hmm. making me feel like this isn't, this isn't my favorite Robert Eggers film, at least at this moment. Right. But it's one that I feel like I need to rewatch. Um, there's lots there that I liked that ultimately I don't know how I feel about where it leaves me. It's like, it it feels like the film is telling me, yeah, this had to happen. This man had to go on this quest. He had to fulfill this prophecy. And now he's being rewarded at the gates of Valhalla. You know, he, he's he's given this. And I don't know if I want that story told right now. I don't know if I need that story told right now. I get why Eggers was compelled to do it. You know what I mean? But I'm not sure I, I love the direction he went with it. I think this movie is a masterpiece that will be talked about for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. It is not my favorite Robert Eggers movie. So my God, what a gift we have in this director. And the next time <laughs> that he makes a movie, I'm going to be there on opening weekend again. And I hope that we, I'm sure we will yeah, talk no, about this, it right here. This doesn't feel like a disappointment at all. It's yeah. just one that when I came out of the lighthouse and, I, and I'll go back, I will listen to episode 62. We sound like babies. Uh, probably. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> Really? No, well, it's not like that. Yeah, it's yeah. just... Uh, it, it, we, we, we haven't sharpened our conversational criticism. I enjoy yeah. what we've grown into. How's Good. That? Well, I'm glad to and hear And we it. haven't done... We're not done growing. No, no, not at all. Because we are not fated to a particular Mm-mm. outcome. We are going to develop into what we want. We are not. <laughs> but, but when I think back on The Lighthouse, and I hope I said it then, it was such... Part of the joy of that film was just... All of the things that surprised me about it constantly throughout it. And this film did not surprise me in those ways. It did not take turns. In part because I think it was chained to a folkloric tale that doesn't have surprises. Except, you I know, see like, your point. You know what I mean? Like, I totally see your point. Yeah. I, I, we, hadn't talked in a, we have not talked about the majesty of the violence and the battles. And the, just the coolness of some of the stuff. You see it in the trailer where they are approaching a village to raid and one of the guards throws a spear that he catches in midair yeah. and turns right back around oh, and throws raid. it back. And let's not, you know, the cinematography we did remark on, yes. but let it be said here, there are a lot of long takes in this film and not like easy long takes no. where you just have a couple people sitting on a couch talking and we're just going to mm-hmm. keep it one shot. No, this is like moving, tracking shots through villages that's like muddy ground. With a lot of stuff that happens on screen as they they travel. Right, very smoothly choreographed, capturing all the action just as it should be with this exquisite kind of fight choreography. No, you're right, Joe. I mean, there's some amazing, impressive battle scenes. Um, The inside shots of the castle when the king returns home. Ethan Hawke, I think, does. He's not on screen long before he gets dispatched, but he is maturing into such a great actor i mean he is a great actor but he's maturing as he goes what a fantastic part i thought nicole kidman her interesting beauty yeah that she's created for herself is really makes a lot of sense here she she looks she looks interesting and different anya taylor joy of course delivers that last scene with her on the boat as she's anguished about this man that that is leaving but knows also that she's got offspring to royalty in her and and that and this and she's a sorceress so that's insane the the uncle who's uh, the name i I don't know off the top of my head he he is amazing willem defoe's on screen for all of a minute and a half maybe but there but it's a great segment of the film i mean that may be my favorite scene right there when ethan hawk and uh the the younger actor playing the the child version of amleth go into this ritual like dungeon and and are acting as dogs and he's yeah i mean that that was teaching his son that was that was sort of uh you know top tier eggers to me sure that, that scene right there i'm like okay this is what which which did set me up a little bit where I'm like, I oh, see. I never quite got back I understand to the, what you mean. he never got quite as weird. Like I wanted the head scene later where he's, where, um, Willem Dafoe, the Hymir, I think is the character's name, the jester. He, he has the head 
of this mystic has the head of, you know, Hymir there that speaks to him, but does it sort of telepathically. We don't see the head. Mm -hmm. But I was hoping the head was going to animate in a weird way. <laughs> but that's me, not Robert Eggers. So, yeah, and yeah. had it, you would have said, okay, Robert Eggers, I'll go with you there. Yes, I would have. I'll go with you I there. I, I, I don't... My yeah. my favorite. You said it wasn't your favorite. My favorite is still the witch. Yeah, it's it, that it's great. I I think honestly, I I think for me right now, if I'm ranking those three films, Lighthouse at the top, the witch just a little behind it, and the Northman not all that far behind the witch. I mean, these aren't yeah. huge gaps that we're talking about. But if if I'm gonna say the film that I'm most excited about to watch again, it's it's the Lighthouse. I will watch both of those other films though too. Eggers tells a story in The Witch about, you know, that Puritan era, burn witches at the stake era, right. yeah. Christianity. What led to the witch trials. Backfiring yeah. on a family. Mm -hmm. Told at that time period, but I think using that time period to tell a contemporary tale, and that's religion gone wild. Yeah. And with The Lighthouse, it's the power and danger of isolationism. Yeah. And here... It is exactly what we talked about. Are you destined to act a way or do you have the ability to, to change? Right, right. And if you don't have the ability to change, what is your destiny? So I think that, you know, Edgar's working with cinematic scale action and brutality and a, a mix of mysticism and interesting visuals mm -hmm. that, that, that are, that are otherworldly. And then this lesson of the film it just packs such a punch yeah i was bummed because I, I live in a rural area about 25 miles away from carlos's house and uh, between me and him is a small town theater which my son was in town he, he's a24 devotee a eggers devotee so i was super excited to watch it with him but we watched it in an inferior theater with an inferior sound system and oh. a big weird white square stain on the screen oh, no. that was certain lighting on the screen you could really see yeah. and take you out of it i do want to find the best theater i can before yeah. this leaves theaters and see it again on the big screen yeah, I'm still gonna say this is a must see. There, there's, there's no reservation there. Maybe not my, it's not my favorite Eggers right yeah. now. But this beer, as my first beer from Tailgate Brewery, um, from Nashville, Tennessee, uh, peanut butter milk stout. I'm pretty happy with what's in the can here. I mean, the, the peanut butter was on the nose already. We said that. Mm -hmm. um, it was in there in the flavor, but not in an over-the-top that sometimes you can get that like really that sweet. novelty way. Yeah. Where you're like, ugh. This was a balanced, mm -hmm. I think, peanut butter milk stout where I would happily drink this anytime it's not like a dessert beer that i need to be you know getting like a one ounce pour we had right. you know we split one can here six ounces of it no problem i could have probably drank the whole can myself i really am falling more in love with stouts as we do them on the show i was always an ipa guy now i look for stouts more than ipas it's just like my everyday kind of thing you can throw peanut butter into anything and <laughs> and it can be great or it can be alarmingly too sweet yeah. or too much but you're right the balance here is really good i think that uh, i'm glad that we're going to do another tailgate because yeah. uh, they really impressed me with this peanut butter milk stout the lactose it was perfect for the level of peanut butter that was there yeah i think they're they're it, it's giving it the the bigger body yeah. th that uh, you you would expect with the lactose addition but again the sweetness that i worry about sometimes with the milk stout I don't, I don't think it got up there. So, I mean, I, I think the, these folks know what they're doing. It's dialed in. They're get, they're getting the flavor that they want out of it, or at least a flavor I think that's going to appeal to most craft beer drinkers as opposed to creating a novelty product that's just going to, you know, be the, oh, you got to taste this wacky mm -hmm. thing. Like, this is, this is for something that's bringing in the peanut butter with the stout, I think it's doing it really well. My in-laws sent a picture of a very full and varied case of beers. Yeah. I chose two. Okay. You can find out the second one in a second, our first live event since the since COVID began, and a special guest when we return. I was going to say who's going to do it. <laughs> All right. 
<laughs> we'll count that. You, you, you can leave all the mess in there. Um, we are back. Uh, we, we were really excited to bring you that Robert Eggers film uh, review in the first half of the episode. And as we said, that was a that was a winner. You know, even if I had my reservations about some of it, you're not always right, David. It's, no, I'm not always right. And what's more is, I am right about you needing to see that film. You being our listeners, but what I'm also right about is that we need more beer in our glass. And Joe, as he said in the first half, had been the recipient of uh, a couple great, well, we hope great, one great so far, beers from this tailgate brewery out of Nashville, Tennessee. This second one that we're going to be trying is their chocolate coconut vanilla truffle. It is 8.0% alcohol by volume. It is, like I said, from Tailgate Brewery. I'm assuming it's a stout, but it doesn't actually say that officially on the can. I've had a can of it. It's a stout. Okay. All right. With all those, you know, the chocolate and the vanilla and the uh, the uh, coconut, I'm thinking that that that's the right mix of flavors to go with a stout. So when I saw that photo that they sent me asking me which ones I might want, I saw the word truffle, mm. and I said, I've never had a beer. That's called a truffle. Now they're not—they're not talking about truffles that uh, Nicholas Cage's pig was looking for. They're talking about if a sweet. If only they were. I though, know, that right? would have been a great time. A sweet chocolate delectable treat. Right, right. So I just poured some in my glass. Ooh, and I'm getting the vanilla, and the coconut. Ooh, I'm excited. And this—this this makes me even sadder that Carlos isn't here because he is our resident coconut uh, freak. So. Carlos, this is for you, buddy. Um, we'll, we'll sip this and uh, and and talk about a film that, well, geez, it has another ingredient that Carlos tends to like in his films. You, you're talking about Nicolas Cage? Mm. Yeah, he... This film... Carlos, where are you? Okay. <laughs> we, every 50 episodes, as you guys know, and we're nine episodes away from doing it again, we get back into the Cage match where we do two Nicolas Cage films as a... Sometimes even three. We, we, we'll stack, yeah, yeah. So when Nicolas Cage has a new release that is wide and big and getting as much attention as this is, it only made sense that we did it now. Yeah. And then we wrapped that up with our return to trying to do something that we did, that we were going to try to do before the pandemic. Right, before, right when the pandemic hit, we had an event yeah. that we were going to um, follow up our Joe Dworsky episode with a screening of... Sex, um, Santa Sangre. At... The Alamo. Yeah. But then that got waylaid. That's right. So here we are back again. We had our first like meetup at the theater ever, and it was a huge success. We sure did. And if you're listening and you came out, thank you. Thank you for we, coming. We had a blast uh, me meeting up with y'all. We, we, we kind of got there a little before the film, had some drinks in the lobby where, where there's some seating just for folks who don't mm -hmm. know the Alamo Drafthouse uh, thing. Uh, you, you can go there and eat and drink and not even go to a movie. But we, we hung out in the lobby for a little while before the film started. We all went in, saw some of the pre-show together, and uh, and then and then got to collectively experience the unbearable weight of massive talent. What is this film about, Joe? Well, I would say one of the attendees of the event yeah. is my favorite person to watch movies with. And that's Aislinn Campbell, my, right. my better half, really. F former guest of the show. Hello, everyone. And yeah, you can go back to episode 51, where we brought her in to talk farms and food when we did The Biggest Little Farm and Food, Inc., the documentary, yeah. because Aislinn, local food is your life. <laughs> uh, yep. I run a farm, Freedom Harvest Farms, and a business where I teach gardening, and yeah, I enjoy talking about farm life we have talked on after hours often about uh you and i watching movies david and aaron we'll talk about it, like how who we watch movies with and what our significant others think and when i told you that a we had this event that we could go to and it, and then this nicholas cage film you were all over it i like to go see movies and i definitely like nicholas cage so <laughs> so yeah it's i'm uh, giving you applause for that that's you. not always the case there are people who have a strong averse reaction to Nicolas cage i'm reminded of all the time one of my most favorite movies is a Nicolas cage movie which one gone in 60 seconds it's oh okay. absolutely talked about in the lobby before the film yeah. that that was one that marty that Mar from marty mcpies was a big man. fan of yeah no the, it's, <laughs> and he did all of his stunts in that good ones good cars <laughs> that was fun yeah so uh the unbearable weight of massive talent is nick Nicolas Cage playing a version of himself, Nick Cage. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, you see that he is struggling the way I imagined, David, that he might have been struggling creatively and financially in those early 90s when we began seeing that onslaught of overseas films and straight to DVD films that he kind of became notorious for doing. I think you're even, you, you want to say even later, like more like the late 2000s into the 2010s. Okay. Yeah. Because the 90s was a pretty, like, face-off. And that, right. You know, that was big, like, him as a marquee uh, headliner for, for a lot of the... But anyhow, but he, he did go through a fallow period. Well, the Nick Cage that we're presented with here is having some financial problems. He's having some family problems. Uh, he's his, He and his wife are separated, and he's living in a hotel. He's racked up a bill of $600,000. He has a sit-down meeting with um, David Gordon Green. Yeah. <laughs> Which I I I recognized him immediately. Uh I nudged Aaron. Aaron went to the movie with us, and I and I nudged her. I'm like, you know who that is? She didn't know him by sight, but David Gordon Green. Right, and David Gordon Green passes on Nick Cage being the star (laughs) of his new film, and he needs this cash. So it's um, fortuitous that his agent, played by Neil Patrick Harris presents him with a million dollar personal appearance gig. Basically, Mm -hmm. if you go to this guy's. birthday party and make an appearance and be Nick Cage for this guy. He's going to pay you a million bucks. He's kind of over the barrel and he decides to go do it. Then he's intercepted by two CIA agents played by Ike Barinholtz and Tiffany Haddish. I will come back to her. Mm-hmm. And they say you are in the home of a huge, was it drug runner? Uh, arms dealer. Arms dealer. Yep. And uh, while you're there, we're going to need you to infiltrate and get some data off the computer, that kind of thing. But what happens is he begins to form a really real friendship with this guy, played by Pedro Pascal. Right, Javi. And um, then he's torn between everything. Oh, his family is taken hostage and brought in. And there's other twists and turns that I'm sure we'll get into. But Nick Cage, as the star of this film, doing a version of Nick Cage with even another version of Nick Cage showing up. (laughs) Nicky Cage. (laughs) (laughs) This was a perfect movie for us to do with a crowd like this because I can't imagine anybody walked away at least not having a good time. Oh, yeah. I mean, this film is a blast, right? I certainly laughed a lot. Yeah. Like, I I think I laughed uncontrollably a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I had some fits. There there were definitely some moments where I I couldn't contain myself. And I even felt a little bit bad. Although, we'll get into movie theater etiquette maybe later maybe we can do it after hours sure beer in a movie patreon.com yeah what is it carlos where are you (laughs) (laughs) patreon.com slash beer in a movie five dollars a month gets you a bonus episode every week right but i loved hearing the laughter break out at various it wasn't just me that that's that's especially what i like is when it's not you get the loudest badge but (laughs) no it wasn't just you good yeah yeah Yeah, we were all laughing the whole time and interestingly enough it was like it was like a continued laugh there was laughter throughout almost the entire movie. Yeah. Because not everyone laughed at the same jokes. Right. But it was laughter throughout the whole movie. And there were a lot of layers to the movie. I thought it was great. You're right. You're right. You, I think that that term is a, is a good one to apply here. Layers. Because, you know, obviously, right from the get-go, you have this concept of an actor playing a version of himself. And so there's always that kind of like... You know, th- there's there's that b- both connection to the character, but then this kind of distance because you know they're obviously. I mean, this isn't his real wife. He doesn't have just a single daughter, as far as I know. You know, like so, so they're playing a little bit fast and loose with with some of the stuff. He's seeing a bit of a career renaissance right now, even before this film with right. Pig and, uh, and, right. and other things. So, like I said, he's they've conflated a yeah. bit of the experience that he has had in Hollywood right. to create the now that we're seeing. Right. Um, so, so you already have that kind of like tension between those things. And then, I don't know, at least me going in, I have that kind of like, okay, how how much are they going to be able to poke fun at him versus, use, you know, just creating him as this like sort of um, ultra suave movie hero kind of character? And they didn't go that route. No. It's very self-deprecating humor repeatedly throughout the film. There were all these great moments where – I mean, they're pointing out the ridiculousness of some of his acting approach, right? Some of his actual roles, they're dissecting at times. The This younger version of himself, Nicky Cage, that shows up in these kind of fantasy sequences. Where like, he, like a conscience or a... a uh, like, almost like the, the devil on his shoulder, that's I right. guess. Is it? In my world, we would call that like your inner teenager. There you go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. The one that's talking back to you. And usually, interestingly enough, they are that character for you. They're your like 
your 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 fighter. They're your warrior. Mm-hmm. They're your a lot of times what people people will say that one is your actual ego, your yeah. teenager one, your warrior. Yeah, be- before <laughs> you're like sort of worn down by your super ego. Yeah. Into, yeah, 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 yeah. And that character is credited like the 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 the, the role yeah. is Nikki uh, uh, Nicholas Nikki Coppola. Yeah. Like, in other words, it's really supposed to be that younger him. Before he'd even taken on the Nick Cage. Sure. Yeah. In fact, we all know that uh, Nicolas Cage has got some very, sp- like, you can spot them teeth. His teeth, you can, in Raising yeah, Arizona yeah. and earlier films, he's had his teeth redone as an older man. Yeah. But Nicky had his young teeth. Right. And... My God, the vanity to get your teeth redone as a movie star. And is this going to fuck me up? And is this going to like change my thing? That that he agreed to like show even those aspects of him. Yeah. And that Nicky Cage being that over the top character that we see in um, like taking on the stuff that when we talked about Vampire's Kiss yeah. and that over the top cage, I'm Nicholas <laughs> fucking Cage. You know that. Yeah, that it, 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 it's like... How, how meta are we gonna go <laughs> yeah no it, it was beautiful actually to see how that uh played out because it it you know it, it comes in early and then it gets peppered throughout the film we we have it come back um i i love that as well he's wearing a wild at heart t-shirt too so that that that's kind of uh you know love that reference oh, the, there. the movie is filled with references of his older films yeah. from oh. the ones that you expect to the ones that you don't expect I right mean, they, they spend a lot of time Crudes on mandy too. Crudes they, too gets a lot <laughs> yeah they spend a lot of time on films that you know aren't the ones we know him for they really went deep in, yeah. in you know doing that aspect of it i actually want to see i know there's going to be somebody talking about it somewhere where we see someone that's gone through and picked out all of the different things and named them. Yeah. Because I, I was watching things and I was like, that's a scene from, and I'm not good enough to like call things by a movie, but I'm like, I've seen that scene. Yeah. I've seen that scene. Yeah. I've, I've heard those lines, you right. know, I'd love to know that. I even think there were soundtrack, soundtrack and score beats from old films. I think you're right. Cause it, I, and I said this after the film, when we were talking briefly in the lobby that, you know, what the only thing that stood out to me a couple times in the film were some, were the, the score choices because there would be such changes it from scene to scene but i do think it was probably rooted to trying to you know recreate bits of the score from actual films of his at various times i think you're right aislinn mm-hmm. once this film becomes available for streaming or you know home viewing or whatever i feel like and I'm sure it's already happening anyway with people who are obsessive fans who, you know, g- God love them and I'll be benefiting from their work. Right. Who are going to exactly. go minute by minute and point out all each the of eggs. Exactly. Yeah. All the Easter eggs, uh-huh. whether they be audio, visual, whatever that are there. Because, you, you know, this was so, you know, we have we got to give credit here. Tom Gormican is the director who I don't know. I don't think he's really had anything before this. That was at least a major film that, that I wow. know. Um who wrote and directed this? This guy's got to be a Nick Cage super fan, right? Oh, you I, have to, you have to imagine. And he co-wrote it with uh, Kevin Effin, Etten. Uh, anyway, they, they have gone to painstaking lengths here to get all of these wonderful moments. Um, it, you know, it, it's it's just so much fun. And and that said. You could make a film that was just all this sort of self-referential meta Nick Cage stuff and have it be fun and good and like we wouldn't feel cheated at the box office to do it. But they also put in a fairly, you know, it's it's not like it's um, uh, sort it's of like... It's not groundbreaking. It's, no, it's not groundbreaking or innovative in that way, but it's a fairly serviceable kind of thriller film that gets mapped onto it right now that is somewhat pedestrian the fact that you know he's hooked up with this guy who's an arms dealer supposedly and so the cia wants him to infiltrate so he's acting kind of as a covert agent for them obviously the puffery of him having played those kind of characters before and now kind of like well i can really do this and like <laughs> my acting skills actually equip me to this and seeing that yes sometimes that works sometimes it fails um 
there the is that scene where he's in there and he's like he's like on the floor and he's like flopping around and trying to move and then they have him go out the window and yeah. Tiffany Haddish was hilarious. You're right. She goes. She goes. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, that was, was like, great. That was he's good. been drugged or he actually accidentally took. A... He, they give him right. this like powder that he supposedly could just apply topically to somebody in their skin and it would put them out and he ends up rubbing one of his fingers over his eyebrow. Right. So it gets a little dusting of it enough to like put him a little bit out. Yeah. And he's got an earpiece in, and the agents are saying, Nicholas, Nick, Nick, Nick. And then she finally goes, action. And he pops right to. <laughs> that was great. You know, because yeah. he's. He's a, he's a professional. He's a professional, exactly. but yeah. he's also using all his acting skills to, yeah. to really, really get yeah. into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a great scene. The whole thing, that whole movie just made me laugh. <laughs> I felt it dragged about two thirds in, but then it picks right back up again. I felt that I, I have a different opinion than you do, uh, do Aislinn, about Tif- Tiffany Haddish. I, I, I find I don't like her as an actress. Oh, I, th- and I think it, she was good. Used, yeah. well, I think that like, Baron Holds was fine. Um, but really, I mean, I do want to comment on the nature of men adult relationships. Yeah. Because I, sure. th- I think that. They, those two actors, pull that off. This bird, this, this, we are strangers and then we connect and then now there are stakes and we are friends. It really becomes a buddy film. They do, they do, and then and he has to give him shit because then they're on a chase and he's wearing loafers. <laughs> no, it, these big old. Jo- you know what I thought? I thought there's no freaking way that little dude wears the same size shoes as Nick Cage. That's yeah, what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got that uh, idea where they trip uh, LSD together. Yeah, and it's just it's played for comic so effect, funny. but done really, really well. Yes, this is an audience please. I don't, and I don't know. Well, and gonna- they're they're writing the film that we're seeing too. I mean, so you right. get that, that, meta that level, level of well. meta where, you know, yes, he's been invited there for a birthday, but it's really just a ruse so that Javi, the Pedro Pascal character, can pitch Nick Cage on this screenplay, on making this film. Now, we never really find out what the screenplay was, but that once they start talking and, and Nick realizes how much of a fan he is and how much of a fan of film he is, right? He introduces him to the classic Paddington 2, which... I haven't seen, but I'm dying to see it. I know. It's one that I absolutely is at the top of my list now where I have to watch it to to find out are are they like, how serious are they being about this thing? Um, But, you know, then they launch on this idea, well, no, let's let's collaborate here and make our own film and let's make it about us and we can have a drug scene and we can have it and we see these scenes play out Um, to the point where... You know, it's funny that we just did the player uh, a few weeks back, which has that, you know, ending where this film that they've been talking about throughout the film, we actually see it made in the way that they, in in the case of the player, have been sort of pushing against and like, oh, we got to cast Julia Roberts and everything and Bruce Willis and everything. Well, they did. You know, that's where they end up in that one. Mm -hmm. And here we get... You know, at the close of the film, we get that sequence where we see the end of the film through the version of the film that would be made by Javi and Nick from the film with Demi Moore playing his wife, (laughs) who has not been the actress who's playing it throughout. I thought when I went into the movie and I saw the trailer and you get the idea of what the movie's about, I thought that I could see where they were taking it. But I was surprised again and again and again by how inventive, how deeply meta about Nick Cage's career, not just his career, his um, spending tabloid things that that's addressed. The uh, idea that this is literally the world's biggest Nicolas Cage fan that he's going to meet who has the resources to buy a a spare face from Face Off. You know, like he's got all these um, mementos throughout Nicolas Cage's career. Then Nicolas Cage walks into the room and begins kind of like, oh, how did you get that? And where did you get that? And it, it was it was it was so inventive and funny with an actor that the two of us, Aislinn, you two, Carlos, wherever you are. Love so much to do such a success. I have seen Nicolas Cage on every single talk show. He went on Jimmy Kimmel and said, I haven't done a talk show like this in like 13 years. He has been making these other types of movies. Yeah. But I can only imagine that he is back and bigger than ever for a period of time after the success of this. And what this really is, the audience's love letter to this guy who has this very strange career who were clearly very eager to see do... I mean, he did full balls-out comedy in a way that I haven't seen him do since maybe Raising Arizona, and he shows that he's so good at it. Mm. This is a... 
Nicholas Cage. We're in a we're in a Cage assance. Clearly, yeah. we we we're going to be. Well, I mean, I think with Pig last year, this film this year, and I'll even throw in something like Willy's Wonderland, which I think impressed us all with how you could take something that was a pretty silly premise, but see him deliver a really amazing performance and and have that really kind of make the film work in a way that I don't think anybody else could. It's I mean. Anybody who who comes to me with the Nick Cage is, you know, a a scenery chewer One who has no, you know, like okay, but he is he is capable of so much. It's all about the project. It's all about what needs to be brought to a given project. And this one was complicated. I don't think anybody else probably could have put I don't think you could have written this film about any other actor necessarily, and I don't think any other actor could have pulled it off. I had that question, could you do this same film with who? Tom Cruise, maybe? I mean, like... But th- would Cruise have the sense of humor about himself to let the... I mean, because they would have to go after Scientology. He could not... Mm, I don't no, think he, he could do that. I don't think he'd tolerate that. But, so who is it? I mean, I don't know. who you, is you that got actor? any ideas, Aislinn, who, who we could see? Maybe even an well, actress. Like, is there somebody who could do it? I don't know. The part of... The, the only thing I think about is that people would be able to pick out certain cult cult actors or actresses okay. that they would put into that category and say I'd like to watch but I interestingly enough keep thinking about the John Malkovich movie yeah yeah when I think about this like that sort of like seeing an actor from that angle I don't know no like, I think was, you're right that's that's a good comparison so I, I don't I think that you could do something interesting like that with lots of different actors but could you do that again no because that was Nicolas Cage yeah you know yeah like yeah, it's well. It, you know, we, we've we've certainly seen films about filmmaking, and you know, we've we've reviewed them on the podcast. But but a film that is about a particular actor, his career, a certain point in his career that he was, like you said, Joe. He this is a version of a period that he kind of went through where he was doing projects, at least from the outside. A lot of people were assuming for the money. You know what I mean? Like he he wasn't getting those choice roles and uh john woo film or you know to to see that all kind of play out with somebody who's had the kind of career he's had where he's had some incredibly high highs right like that you know could you do it to matthew mcconaughey could you do i could do i could do it to matthew you know what (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did I just say that I think out loud? There were, I, I, think there were lev- I think there were levels to that comment. Like, <laughs> <laughs> many layers, many layers. But, but, I think you could do Matthew McConaughey. But yeah, I think he you're right. I think, I, I think he fact, would have this sense of humor. It's kind of him doing it himself. Is really. that right? I mean, it's him. And, and he's got that the bongo drum thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, totally. there's yeah. All no, there'd be lots of things to make fun of that I bet he would be game. I would like to ask for that to happen. Could someone make that for me, please? It's the sequel. Gormican has to write a sequel that will be maybe McConaughey and Cage get together. They're, they do a you know buddy film about themselves. That would be great. God, and a walk scene and a car race. Oh my God. <laughs> maybe they can tie it into the Fast and Furious franchise somehow. You know. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I, two great films, David. I'm sorry you weren't as jazzed about The Northman as I was. You're wrong about you gotta, that. You, but gotta, you gotta start. You gotta stop playing that up i i had a reservation about it that i will i will check in with myself about it's a great film folks well, you need if to go you see want it. to see it again before at least theaters you call me because I, right. I definitely do and aislin asked me after the fact because we i went to go see it with my kids really yeah. late at night do you think i would like it and that those mystical you know thing i, I don't bet she would and there's i don't know i know i know there are some pressure points around violence and and whatnot and it's certainly there but it 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 doesn't revel in it. No. I don't think it's. I mean, there is like a the, the choreographedness of it. There there's something beautiful about that, and it's also very age specific. A uh, Viking age, the, yes, the 900 yeah. AD age. Yeah. I mean, this is the brutal world that they lived in. Right. But it's not presented as like let's revel in the violence. It's like this is a piece it's of the it. way of and life. It's so it's the, beautifully it's, yeah. done. Yeah. Okay, but did you enjoy David? Uh, this hand delivered from Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Chocolate, coconut, vanilla, truffle stout from Tailgate Brewery. We had the peanut butter. We both enjoyed it a lot. So if I'm going to be totally honest, which I always strive for here on I the podcast. I hope that you will be. I think the peanut butter was better. It was, it was, that was my favorite of the two. This is a good stout with those adjuncts there. To me, there's something a little 
too turned up about the vanilla or something. Okay, think, let me give it another taste. I think it and it and it's subsuming any of the coconut that's in there. So there, there's just something off about the balance of the flavors. Like the chocolate's definitely there. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm getting like a spike of vanilla and and almost no coconut on on the flavor. Whereas on the nose, I was getting the coconut. What you said, I think I heard you say about that peanut butter stout was that they didn't oversweeten it with the peanut yeah, butter. Yeah. This is oversweetened. That, yeah. Just a little past the dial of what I like. Yeah. It's not, it's not unenjoyable. No, this is good. This I'm, is I'm a good I'm not going to send it back. But I'm just, I'm having two back to back. I'm going to compare them. I'm yeah. sorry. That, you know, and, and, and I hope that uh, our friends, at, I hope they think they're our friends um, you are because friends, they are tailgate tailgate um i hope i get to drink more of your beers i'm going to pass through nashville in a couple months and, and, I'm now, pro- and now you know I'm, one I'm of the places have to make to sure go. that i stop there um th- this is a great i guess we'd call it imperial because it's eight point sure you know so like it, it's getting to imperial stout territory mm-hmm. um but for me if i'm like i'm gonna pick one the peanut butter i think they just nailed it that that is a peanut butter milk stout that i would happily have anytime it was offered to me this is one where i'm not disappointed by it i don't feel like this is a, a bad beer by any stretch but i wouldn't order a second one well given the photograph that was sent to me of the cooler that i could choose from yeah. they 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 have a massive output of yeah. all kinds of beers i yeah. happen to choose two stouts yeah so you're right maybe if you have the time on your future journeys Let's revisit tailgate uh, with some of the maybe something you can pick up for us out of, outside of the stout part of the mythical family tree. I will make that part of my mission. Okay, how do we do the part where Carlos wraps it all up oh with all gosh, of the uh, social media stuff? Yeah, I think I think what we're going to do is we're going to say, folks, you can find us on social media. You can. Um, we definitely have a Facebook. Yes. <laughs> we're on Twitter. Okay. We kind of do stuff there occasionally. Instagram, I, I'm actually the guy who who, who uh, mostly posts through that. So, you know, find us, Beer in a Movie. We're there on Instagram. You know, find us wherever we are. But I think one of the great places you can find us now that you weren't able to in the past is Discord. I am enjoying that Discord server so much. Yeah. It's, I, we, we will, after a episode, there's a channel there that's the, you know, discussion of this week's episode. And yeah. there's a lot of like, what do you call it? Addendum. Um yeah, addendums, or or or, or you, you you tend to actually be really great about right. posting articles about the film. If we're going to talk about two Richard yeah. Linklater films, let's talk about Richard Linklater, yeah, and here's yeah, some yeah. cool links. This week we'll do Eggers and Nicholas Cage. Cage. And yeah, ooh, we're going to have fun. It's going to be yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. So we hope to see you there. And of course, we do know the website for patreon.com slash beer and movie podcast. Right. Is it, what, what is it? Uh, oh, the, fuck. That's, that's Carlos. It. Hey, Carlos, hey. Uh, we, we, <laughs> rate review and subscribe apple podcast give us that five star rating we know you're going to i'm, I'm trying well, to do you're my doing carlos, your best carlos. um and uh you know and and you know he used to say he would review your review but he hasn't done that in a while because he never did it so anyway we love you carlos we wish you're here with us um and boy did we have fun this week with these films it's great when you get to see two two notable wonderful new releases in the theater folks get back out to the theater when you can we'll see you there until next time i will avenge you father i will save you mother i will kill you what's his name fjordy <laughs> Fjord- <laughs>